0: Where in the world is Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea who appears so fond of being filmed and photographed, has disappeared from sight? And rumors are abound that he is possibly dead. Social media in particular has turned the event into a meme, adding cultural references such as Game of Thrones to frame imaginary scenarios on what might follow in the vacuum left by the late supreme leader. But for those who have been watching North Korea for a while, this is not a new occurrence. Leaders of this most opaque state have disappeared in the past. Our guest today, KI Vice President Mark Tokola, a veteran of the U.S. Foreign Service and former Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Seoul, remembers those incidents. And with history as an added guide, he provides a more sober analysis of the ongoing mystery around the whereabouts of Kim Jong-un. With no further delay, from the Korea Economic Institute, I'm your host, Yang Kwan. Social distancing from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Korean Context. Vice President Mark Tokola, thank you so much for joining Korean Context today. My pleasure. Well, of course, we have to talk about the disappearance of Kim Jong-un. The leader of North Korea has not been seen in public since April 11th. His absence from the Day of the Sun ceremony, which marks the birthday of his grandfather and the country's founder, Kim Il-sung, his absence from the 80th anniversary commemoration of the founding of the Korean People's Army and the news that a medical team from China was dispatched to North Korea have all fueled speculation that he has perhaps died, or at the very least that he's incapacitated. Accompanying all these rumors, there is also increased attention on the other member of the Kim family that has garnered a lot of attention since the Winter Olympics, his sister Kim Yo-jong, which a lot of people are looking at as a potential successor if something really did happen to Kim Jong-un. There's a lot to unravel here, but Taking a step back from the speculations, you wrote a very timely article for the Peninsula blog in which you note that we may be reacting a little strongly to Kim Jong-un's disappearance because he has been such a public figure, which contrasts how his father, Kim Jong-il, acted. And you highlight examples of how all three generations of Kims have disappeared for varying lengths of time in the past. Would you tell us a little bit about the Case in 2008 when Kim Jong il disappeared from the public view. Thanks, Young. I'll
1: do that. Maybe I should mention first that we should remember back to 2014 when even Kim Jong un disappeared for a period of about six weeks in September and October of 2014. At that time, there was a lot of speculation, too, like today, about what his health status was or what might have happened to him. He was seen with a limp and then he went to a concert in September and then he vanished. And so We didn't know what happened to him. When he emerged, it looked like he'd just been on some kind of a convalescence, trying to get over his leg or hip problem. So even a six-week period then got a lot of people's attention, we're not quite to that mark yet. As you mentioned, his father, Kim Jong-il, disappeared in 2008, and that was very serious. He did not appear at an Olympic torch ceremony in April 2008, and then just was not seen for months. And so there's a lot of speculation about what had happened to him. Eventually, it was early 2009, the North Korean state announced that he'd been reelected to the People's Assembly. They said that he'd been on some inspection tours. They released a video of him visiting factories that looked like it was from November or December of 2008. And then he sort of reemerged, but it was easy to tell when he did that his health had taken a real shock. Uh, speculation is that he probably had a stroke in April of 2008, took him a long time to recover. And he always seemed much
0: weakened after that, which led to a very close health watch on him. And of course, in 2011, when Kim Jong-il disappeared, that was an instance where he actually passed into mortality. In this instance, in 2011, there was also a slight delay in North Korea's official pronouncement of the leader's death. What might lead North Korea to delay the announcement of big events such as Kim Jong-il's death? Yeah, that's right. It took about three days for the
1: fact to emerge he'd actually died. The North Korean media announced his death, but they actually post-dated it. So they said he had died three days previously. There are a couple of theories about that. One is it actually took that long for Kim Jong-un to actually get firm control of the power. So it may have been a brief period where they were trying to make sure he was actually the successor, and there'd be no serious challenge. Another the theory is that the North Korean state wanted to stage manage Kim Jong-un's death So rather announcing immediately, they went back and concocted a narrative about the death. They said that he died on a train of a heart attack, overwork in his deep care for his people. But South Korean observers have long questioned whether that actually happened or not. The weather was very cold in December. He was so weak, it's unlikely he would have been traveling. And they could see afterwards the train had been stationary. During that time, they said Kim Jong-il died on the train it seems most likely he just died in his apartment or his living quarters. And then they had to come up with a story about his death on the train because it fit the narrative better of dying on the job. It may have
0: taken a few days to arrange that. A lot of the information that you are recounting today comes from official reporting from North Korea, such as the newspapers that they published, the Rodong Shenmue, or even the official news with visitations by the North Korean leader in various places. Are there any other signs, outward signs that observers could look to, to get a sense for whether or not something dramatic has indeed taken place in North Korea? Well, you you can try. I mean, the one that's getting the people's attention is the fact that uh, Kim Jong-un has missed some important anniversaries.
1: The fact he was not at the 88th anniversary of the founding of the Korean People's Army, like you mentioned at the top, was a sign that there's something wrong. He should have been there. Like he should have been there at the Day of the Sun, the uh, anniversary Mm -hmm. of uh, Kim Il-sung's birth, which is the most important national holiday. So if he's not there, then you have to kind of wonder why he's not there. That sets off speculation. You can look around for other signs. The South Korean government is saying that they believe he's alive and well based not on the fact that he's called them, but based on the fact they're not seeing unusual activity in the North. Unusual activity might be troop movements or lack of troop movements or where the train is. Or, there are things you could look for, but it's actually very hard to know what's happened short of an official announcement for the North
0: Korean government. And even that you have to question. So let's just assume for a very brief moment that Kim Jong-un is totally healthy and he is in a very safe location and there's nothing wrong with the internal political order of North Korea. Might there be interest by North Korea to withhold the appearance of the leader, a public appearance? I assume that North Korea does see that the outside world has taken an interest in Kim Jong-un's disappearance. Could Pyongyang just be withholding Kim Jong-un's public appearance for any strategic ends?
1: Back in 2014, I actually thought that. Uh, One of my theories then for his uh, six weeks' disappearance was some kind of attention-gathering system, that it was a way of uh, getting people to be focused back on North Korea, because they know that disappearances will get outside attention. When he came back, it looked like he had been convalescing. This time, I'm not sure there's any really benefit to the North Korean state or to Kim Jong-un to have him not appearing. Like you said, it fuels a lot of speculation. It could fuel speculation internally. You know, North Korea is not watertight for information anymore. So if North Korean public sees he's not around, they might start wondering too. I can't see that where that be in his interest. So I, no, I suspect something has happened, but whether it's very mild or whether it's just even a case of his trying to be out of touch from other people during this coronavirus problem, maybe he's trying to isolate himself or self-quarantine. But it's very odd that there's nothing being said about him. There have been a few letters he's apparently signed congratulating people on their various anniversaries, but those might just be mechanical. I'm not sure there's any reason to believe those show he's around. It feels odd that they're being quiet about this,
0: not even denying the rumors. And you mentioned the possibility of Kim Jong-un avoiding public appearances to quarantine himself away from potentially contracting the COVID-19. And that's something that the South Korean government also mentioned as a distinct possibility. And of course, earlier you mentioned that the South Korean government officially does not see any irregularities to elicit concern. Does the South Korean government have better intelligence that would merit international observers taking greater stock in their analysis?
1: Well, I'm only basing my analysis based on what they've said publicly. But I saw the headline a couple of days ago that said, South Korean government says Kim Jong-un is alive and well. I thought that was maybe something definitive. But in the story itself, South Korean spokespeople said they were basing that on the fact they're not seeing unusual movement. I'm not sure that's a sign of very much. It may be that no one's moving because why would you move? It could be his convalescing and there'd be no reason to have any unusual activity. Now, if there was unusual activity, such as troop movements or troops being confined to quarters, that could be an important
0: signal to look at. But the lack of movement doesn't seem to me to be very definitive. That is the strangest part about all of this. There is really no evidence to say that anything is really wrong with Kim Jong-un. And we're getting some... Strange headlines in the newspapers along the lines of Kim Jong un is either dead, brain dead, or perfectly healthy. These are headlines I presume we could have written before his disappearance as well. Um, What explains this high level of media speculation? And why don't we look back on, as you mentioned, his disappearance in 2014 and also Kim Jong il's disappearance in 2008 and just wait? I think it's because you've gotten used to seeing Kim Jong un out and about. Kim Jong-il was an extremely private
1: person. You rarely saw him. He did not appear in public very much. He never spoke in public. And so he was a very reclusive individual. So you could have months go by and not notice whether he's there or not. With Kim jong Un, it's been different, and especially since 2014. When he's been engaged in, in diplomacy, he's been a very visible figure. In traveling to Singapore and to Hanoi and to Beijing, he's been out and about, and he likes to be photographed. There's lots of pictures of him that appear all the time of watching missile launches, visiting factories, directing projects.
0: And so his absence is striking because we're so used to his presence. But on the other hand, from the outside world's perspective, we're so rarely interested in North Korea when North Korea is not launching missile tests or engaged in some kind of nuclear experiment. Why do you think that the media has suddenly taken this increased interest with no definitive evidence when the leader of North Korea has only been really gone for less than a month? Well, everyone loves a mystery. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a puzzle, and it's easy to speculate. And Anybody can come up with a story
1: about what might have happened or what they think might have happened. I mean, remember, a lot of these rumors started with Twitter in China, that Kim Jong-un was unwell or had passed away. So the social media, it might be driving the story to some extent. Traditional media will look at it because it would be an important story. I mean, If Kim Jong-un was, in fact, incapacitated, or if he was dead, that could be very important. North Korea is a nuclear state. It seems brittle. No one knows what succession would look like. It's not pointless to think about Kim Jong-un's disappearance. It's just probably not very useful to actually do
0: anything about it at this point. Now, you mentioned succession. Does North Korea have a formal succession plan? In the United States, when a president dies, the vice president naturally takes over. And there are contingency plans in other countries. Like For instance, we recently saw Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the United Kingdom delegate his powers to members of the cabinet while he was convalescing in the hospital from the coronavirus. Is there such a system in North Korea? And is there a person who is standing by to take over in the case that Kim Jong-un has been incapacitated?
1: That's well, interesting you mentioned the UK case, because in fact, in that case, they were not clear what would happen if Boris was out of action, as he was. Mm-hmm. The appointment of Dominic Rabb to be acting prime minister even surprised some people. It wasn't, he's not the chancellor. And so there was some question about even how that happened. So succession is not always a clear thing. In the U.S., it's very clear. It's in the Constitution. But Some countries aren't that definitive about it, and North Korea especially is not definitive about it. There is no succession mechanism. The reason is because if you're going to posit all power in an individual, then allowing for succession would show there's an alternative to that person being in power. It's kind of antithetical to the way the place works. And especially if you've got an invulnerable, omnipotent leader, the idea of trying to have official plans made for his disappearance or or death or absence would take away from that. And furthermore, the system has a certain ruthlessness to it, and so Kim Jong-un himself might not be keen on having a succession lined up, lest it look like there was a way to remove him.
0: If we can dig into that a little bit, the one thing that people do point to in North Korea, the bizarre aspect of North Korea that political scientists point to, is the fact that the country has been so successful in handing power from grandfather to father to son. And at the same time, this seems quite contradictory to the system that you just outlined, which is that the system is quite resistant to having a formal succession line. So how does the country compromise between these two seeming contradictions? You're right. It's not automatic that North Korea should be that
1: way. The whole idea of hereditary rulership in a communist state doesn't seem right at all. It shouldn't be that way. Because there was not much of a system, Kim Il-sung was able to create the system. And so Kim Il-sung was able to arrange it so that his heirs could take power. There was a lot of question whether Kim Jong-un would succeed in remaining ruler of North Korea because it was thought that the third hereditary generation would be too much, that it would be too un-Korean, that people wouldn't like it. But they've created this ideology around the Kim family, about the Mount Pektu bloodline and their supernatural powers. And so it's been installed now in the system that the Kim family has some special quality that makes them uniquely qualified to run North Korea. Whether that can survive another generation, there's no guarantees. But having been through three generations now, a fourth
0: seems more likely than not. So let's entertain the possibility that Kim Jong-un is either dead or actually truly incapacitated I think you're quite spot on in suggesting that something is quite possibly wrong with Kim Jong-un at this moment. Is this a bad time for this to occur, given that the country is going through serious economic woes due to global lockdown following the coronavirus outbreak? Or is this actually an opportune time, given that the country under quarantine would be much easier for the successor to take control of?
1: Let's take one step back and say that I'm not saying that he is definitively incapacitated or dead. It's very possible he's just convalescing, that he did have a health problem and is getting over it. He's just mm-hmm. taking it easy for a while, so we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. But we can talk about what would happen if he was incapacitated, seriously, or if he was dead. In that case, I think your question is a terrific one. Is this the right moment for a new ruler to be taking over North Korea? I think there's implicit in your question the idea that because there's a crisis going on with coronavirus, almost certainly and because of all the economic sanctions in North Korea, the problems they're having, that maybe the system would be more tolerant of allowing a ruler to take over rather than having a struggle because in a time of crisis, you don't want to have a fight for the good of the state. On the other hand, I think there's some dangers for a successor taking over now because, Kim or not, a ruler of North Korea has to be successful to have long-term legitimacy. And so if a ruler takes over now and is seen to fail if there's actually a national catastrophe, because of the pandemic or because of an economic collapse or some other reason, then the person would have to escape that somehow. It could be difficult. So I think if a ruler is taking over at this point, it's going to be very challenging. If they guide the country through this biggest problems, they'll be in power for maybe
0: a long time to come. If they can't, they could well be challenged. Looking back on the great famine that North Korea had in the 1990s, Greg Scarlato at the Human Rights Committee for North Korea suggested that as long as North Korea can point the finger at a natural cause for the national catastrophe, that the people will not necessarily be inclined to blame the state. How much stock do you take in this analysis?
1: I I think there's a lot to it. I also think North Korea today is not North Korea in the 1990s. I think in those days, there was still a robust state that took care of everyone's needs, so in the 90s still, the state gave you your job and your apartment and your food and everything was arranged by the state. And so when the famine started, people didn't know what else to do. They didn't have any self-reliance beyond what they were dependent on from the state. North Korea today is not like that. North Korea today, partly because of the famine, people don't expect the state to be able to look after them in every way. So a lot of their income is from market activities. There's a lot more marketization of the economy that's going on. People look after themselves more. So it's not the same situation.
0: Now, you did mention that the Kim family, through their triple line succession, has built a mythos around their role in the North Korean state. And I think this is partially what's driving the speculation that if Kim Jong-un is capacitated or dead, that his younger sister, Kim Yo-jung, might be in line for succession. Why her? I mean, there are other members of the Kim family. He has an older brother, Kim jong Chol, and he has siblings of Kim Jong-il who are still alive. Why is Kim Yo-jong getting such attention?
1: Partly because the state's been elevating her. I mean, remember, she was at the Pyongyang Olympics. She's been at Kim's side during the summits. The state puts out photographs of her. She's a scene figure. It almost feels like they've been grooming her for the job eventually if Kim Jong-un didn't live long enough to be able to hand on to his own children. So she's there as kind of a regent or maybe the next ruler. Just to mention the other possibilities mm-hmm. quickly. You talked about Kim Jong-chul. He's been deliberately unpolitical. And it strikes me as a good career move. He's had nothing to do with politics or power. Reportedly, he's a guitarist in a band in Pyongyang. And so moving him into power doesn't seem necessarily like something could happen. And then the other figure is uh, Kim Pyong-il, who is Kim Jong-il's younger half-brother, who has the advantage of being a direct descendant of Kim Il-sung. But he's been a diplomat for decades overseas, and so he wouldn't seem to have much of an independent power base in, in Pyongyang. So if either Kim Pyong-il or Kim Jong-chol was advancing a ruling group, maybe putting him up to be the figurehead for North Korea, that's possible. But if you have to look at the odds, I still think Kim jong jong the sister, is most likely.
0: Now, you pose a very interesting dilemma for the US government in your most recent article for the Peninsula blog. If someone does claim to be in control of North Korea, if Kim Jong-un is, again, potentially incapacitated or dead, you ask the question what Washington ought to do, the choice being between the US government quickly moving to recognize that person with the hope that it might initiate early diplomacy, or the US government delaying recognition to induce a potentially better outcome, such as rule by committee or slight opening and liberalization of the country. does it matter at all, given the absence of formal ties between our two countries. Would North Korea actually benefit or be hurt by the existence or absence of U.S. recognition for its leader?
1: Okay, now we're really in the speculative area. and I raised a question in the blog without having an answer to it. I don't know which is the best course to take, except to say that timing is kind of everything. I think it does matter if the U.S. and South Korea acknowledge a new leader quickly or slowly. I think it matters to North Korea. For Kim Jong-un, it's been very important for him to be seen as an international statesman, to be next to Putin and next to Xi and next to President Trump in meeting with Moon Jae-in. So that international recognition, not necessarily support, but the recognition, the fact that other governments see whoever's in charge of North Korea as being the North Korean ruler, is an advantage to that person. I think it's a plus for them. So I think a new ruler would want to be acknowledged quite quickly by outside powers, especially the United States and South Korea. But whether that person is really going to be firm in control will be a question that will be difficult to answer. I would hope that the United States and South Korea would have enough good intelligence to know how firm that person was in charge. But I think it's most likely it's going to be a guess. We won't know if that person will be there for the long run or not. So it's a tough issue and um, a real judgment call.
0: And who would know better? Would it be the Chinese government or Russian governments potentially that might have a better understanding of what's happening in North Korea when a new leader does arise?
1: I don't think the Chinese Russians know any more than we or the South Koreans do. Maybe South Korea has the best insight because they're closest. Apart from that, no one is going to know for sure. I mean, you can look at intelligence to see who's moving where or who's meeting with whom. You can try to analyze photographs, but a lot of the question about succession will be in people's minds. Unless we have some way to actually read minds, we're not
0: going to know what they're thinking. North Korea is very unique in many ways. For one, as we mentioned, it is exceedingly rare to see power stay in one family over so many successive generations outside of, of course, traditional monarchies. But are there any case studies outside the Korean Peninsula that you look at to judge what might transpire in North Korea if Kim Jong-un indeed is dead? I wouldn't call them case
1: studies, but I mean, there are a couple of things that have happened in the past to kind of make you think about possibilities. One is the death of Stalin. Another case where there's no succession in the Soviet Union at the time. So who's going to follow Lenin was a big question. Stalin was ruthless enough to be able to take control. And after Stalin's death, there was a real jockeying for power among people. And I think that's an interesting case to look at. A couple of years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Death of Stalin which was kind of a broad comedy, but as far as I can tell, historically, quite accurate. And so in that case, uh, there was a figure that came to succeed solid after his death, Malenkov, who was given the title of the new premier. He should have been in charge, but behind the scenes, there was vicious maneuvering to actually take control of the Soviet Union. There was murders, Barry was killed, and eventually Khrushchev emerged. So I think that's a case where the successor who's named turned out not to be the real successor. I think it's one case. Another example is Yugoslavia, after Tito's death. Because the system was there to have Tito succeeded by a committee. So it's supposed to be uh, presidents in rotation among different nations making up Yugoslavia. There was a system for kind of a collective leadership, with people handing power in some regular way. It did not work. Uh, the idea of a collective leadership seemed good in theory, but in the end, the individuals uh, wanted to be in charge. And so it was a struggle until power is resolved.
0: So those are two cases. We established that there is a lot of uncertainty in terms of what we might expect from North Korea in the days, weeks, and months ahead. But are there any known unknowns that you would like to see more research into? Any areas that former research might provide a stronger basis for analysis on developments in North Korea? I'm not wanting to give advice to other people about what they should study. That's a tough question to answer. I feel like
1: in my own knowledge, what I'm lacking is enough following of North Korea itself, what they say. I think you can probably learn a lot by looking at North Korean official announcements, looking at decisions made that the state actually releases. So I've tried to make a habit for the past few years of actually reading the conclusions of the Supreme People's Assemblies and Politburo's to see what they're actually saying they're doing. I think I should do that more and I'd love to see other people kind of digest what the official North Korean statements are because I don't think it's just purely propaganda. I think if you listen to actually what they're really saying in their speeches, you can probably learn a lot about what their priorities are and about future direction. But it's boring to look at a very long party announcement and it's easy to dismiss it as being not real. But I suspect what they're saying in public actually has reality to it. I'm going to pay more attention
0: to it if I can. That's it for our episode today. Many thanks to Mark Tokola and to you listeners for tuning in. If you're interested in continuing this conversation, please tune in for a live webinar discussion with Colonel David Maxwell next Tuesday, May 5th at 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. You will find the link to the RSVP in the description of this episode. You can also find a link to the article version of today's conversation with Mark Tokola at the Peninsula blog. The link is again in the description of this episode. Please check them out and do return for more commentary analysis at the Peninsula blog. We'll be back next week with a discussion on what succession in North Korea may look like. Until then, keep up the hand washing and stay safe.